it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We're going to have a Josh Crash Hour from uh, Axios at the bottom of the hour. So that'll be great. And we'll get his insight on the, on the widening field of GOP candidates. Uh, we'll also take your calls at 1-866-408-7669. Kind of an eventful night last night uh, for Governor DeSantis, one he'll never forget, and one that Donald Trump loved. I'll, get, I'll let you know why. And by the way, today, Secretary of Defense Austin and Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Milley, who's been a disaster, will have a conference on Ukraine because there's a lot of developments there, which brings me to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've been pretty darn clear that we don't the use of U.S.-made equipment used for attacks inside Russia. We've been clear about that with the Ukrainians. John Kirby, Ukraine, things are changing. It looks like Ukraine might be attacking inside Russia. And the Wagner Group is predicting a Russia collapse as they essentially admit this war was a mistake and they are about to lose. Number two. We've offered a lot of concessions. The cap on the spending is a Democrat idea. The work, the work requirement was a Democrat idea. I can't help it if the Democrats have become so extreme and now is a party of Bernie Sanders. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy, not shy about the press, letting his perspective get out, unlike the president, with the debt default just days away. Where does Joe go? The Oval, the East Room? Try Camp David, then Rehoboth to visit his Corvette and his classified documents. Is this why he cut his crucial trip short? So far, Kevin McCarthy is controlling the narrative. Number one. I pledge to you that on January 20th, 2025, at high noon, that I'll be the guy on the west side of the Capitol uh, with the left hand on the Bible and the right hand in the air taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. No more excuses. Here we go. Game on. Run finally runs. DeSantis is officially in and two things are clear. He's got a gap to close versus Trump and Twitter spaces needs a lot of work because it crashed. Elon Musk. What it means for the overall race and why does Governor DeSantis beat Biden head to head in almost every poll and Trump does it, both within the margin of error. So let's talk about this. We know he was supposed to go six o'clock Eastern time with this thing called Twitter spaces. Bizarrely, just audio. I guess people use it in conference calls or or chats. I don't know. It makes no sense not to have an audio version of it, but a video version of it. But it didn't get up for a half hour delayed. There were about 500,000 to 1 million, so it's not a huge audience. Don't know what went wrong, but the fact that Elon Musk was involved in it and was supposed to be doing the interview and it didn't work, I don't know how you blame Ron DeSantis. It's just one of those things where you are ultimately in charge. So if you're having a wedding and you book the hall and the hall evidently doesn't have air conditioning the day of the wedding, technically you booked it, you're in charge, but it's really the hall's for, um, fault. So DeSantis did do a good interview with uh, Trey Gowdy where he went through his policy positions, non-contentious, and he's officially in from here on in. And first stop is going to be Iowa. He's going to announce his schedule. He's got plenty of money, had a donor's meeting. He's got a good message. The question is, why is he trailing by 25 points? Why did he lose 10 from February till now? My answer, it doesn't really matter. Whatever happened prior, happened prior. 
now it's a time for him to decide his strategy. It's no longer okay not to answer Donald Trump. Time to open up both barrels if you're Trump. And I think it's fascinating that Donald Trump only only attacks one person. And the fact is the White House only attacked one person. He always attacked Trump. But mostly it's DeSantis. Didn't go after Tim Scott. Didn't go after Nikki Haley. Didn't go after Aza Hutchinson. Didn't go after Vivek Ramaswamy. Not sure if they're going to go after Christie. Why? Something about DeSantis has both sides freaked out. Cut one. There is no substitute for victory. We must end the culture of losing that has infected the Republican Party in recent years. The tired dogmas of the past are inadequate for a vibrant future. We must look forward, not backwards. We need the courage to lead, and we must have the strength to win. All right, a little staccato, but he's reading a speech. That was the format for people who say, why did he read? Well, it's because it's the speech. So if you're doing a radio address, FDR would read before there was television. So... He's reading the address, and then he had a conversation, and then he kept falling out. So no one's really going to remember this in a few weeks. Donald Trump had an interesting post. He said, I'd like to personally congratulate Rob, the sanctimonious, Rob, hmm, on finally announcing that he will be entering the race for president of the United States. Hopefully he'll get the full experience of being attacked by the Marxist, communist, and radical left lunatics of our country, without which he will never know the kind of job he is doing. These lowlifes and misfits are far more than leaders of hostile foreign countries. They must soundly be defeated in order to make America great again. And then he said, Rob, my red button is bigger and stronger and is working. Truth. Yours does not, per my conversation with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, soon to become my friend. Afterwards, some of the responses were Matthew Brodsky said, a political strategist and senior fellow at the Gold Institute for International Strategy, tweeted saying that that is bonkers. DeSantis has been talking about detailed substantive policy issues for the last hour. This is what you get from Trump. If people want idiocy and entertainment, Trump might be the better option. If you want substance on the right, DeSantis is it. Nobody thinks this is the same. If this is sane, they're not afraid to admit it, said Dove Rebuy, uh, David Rebuy, a political commentator with the Claremont Institute, which is a conservative college. So here we go. Game on. I'm not caught up in Donald Trump's 30-point lead. I think he very well could get the nomination. The question is, why is it that DeSantis does better head-to-head with Biden, yet he trails, uh, he trails Donald Trump by 30 points? Because Donald Trump has, I guess, higher marks with Republicans. But if he wasn't in that race, to me, there's no doubt about it, Governor DeSantis would be leading the pack. I do not sleep on Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. I could definitely see them having their moments and seeing if they could sustain it. But some of the things that happen with DeSantis, he has a six-week uh, ban on abortion after six weeks. People think that that's not that's going to hurt him in the general. And fighting with Disney, guys, Governor Sununu, Governor Christie, Donald Trump says you don't fight with corporations. Here's what Ron DeSantis said. Cut four. What ended up happening, though, is that they had this cushy arrangement that they got decades ago where they had their own government in central Florida. They were exempt from laws that everyone else had to follow, and they get, were, got massive tax breaks and even racked up municipal debt. So what we said was, look, we, we're not comfortable having this company on a pedestal joined at the hip with the state of Florida. Our values have just gone in different directions. And so we ended their self-governing status. They now have to live under the same laws as everybody else, and they have to pay their fair share of taxes. 
So that's the battle going on. Now, that's not going to benefit him. I think he probably had an out when Iger took over to have an emergency meeting and then see what they could work out, stay out of politics. And if Iger had an attitude and said, I would be, I'm going to be more to the left, then you have no choice. That would have been the way I would have done it. But now he's on an ongoing fight, and they're going to use the best lawyers to try to drag this out and make DeSantis look bad. I actually don't think it hurts him in the primary at all. And then some of the critics just melt away because what he's doing is standing up for parents, and he should reemphasize that. Also, looking at the polls right now, let's look. Trump, in February, had 43% of the vote. DeSantis had 28%, everybody else in single digits. In March... 54-24. So he picked up 11 points and uh, to 24% for DeSantis. And then in April, 53-21, and now 53-20. So he's pretty established in the top spot. Now, Trump's worried. No question he's worried about the Mar-a-Lago case. No question he's got to be concerned about the January 6th investigation. Word is today they think Mark Meadows might be a state's witness because no one's seen him. And they're wondering what happened. And nobody knows more about what happened outside Donald Trump or didn't happen besides Mark Meadows. And they don't know where he is right now because the former chief of staff was in the inner, inner, inner circle. So that's what's happening in 2024. People are in tough spots, no doubt about it, because people like Lee Zeldin, like Byron Donalds, they're friends and were helping the governor of Florida win reelection. And actually, he helped them. And now when it came to the general, it looks like they're going solid Trump. Here's Byron Donalds. Cut nine. We're going to do our work here on Capitol Hill. This process is going to continue. And when it is done, it is time for our party to unite and get behind our nominee and go win the White House. For the people out there who are Republicans, who who have had issues with Donald Trump in the past, I will give you two words. And that name is John Fetterman. You see, the Democrats do not care about whether you want to support the nominee or not. They are about victory, and we need to be about the very same thing. Right. Uh, That's it. Will they consolidate? I think everybody consolidates. Tim Scott gets the nomination. They're all there. I don't think Donald Trump debates if the the point spread is this big in in August. And I'm not sure that he consolidates. He supports anybody who beats him. Mike Huckabee. Says, don't worry about Donald Trump losing. Cut 10. It's a long way before anybody even votes in a caucus or primary. So there's a lot of time for things to happen. Ron DeSantis clearly steps into the race in the number two slot, but it's a distant number two. And what Ron DeSantis does not have at this point is a fanatically loyal base of people who are as fanatically loyal to him as they are to Donald Trump. Trump's base is unmovable. In fact, Trump's base is growing, and in large part, the more the media and the government, but that's now become all one, uh, the more they try to discredit and we find out about the lies and the criminal activity they've done to him and against him, I think the stronger it makes him. So he thinks he's picked up his base. That's his whole thing. If you want Trump to win and get the nomination, you have to ask yourself, what has he done to expand his voting base? Because right now... The last, when we last left off, he lost Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, and Georgia. All state, he's got to retain everything, and he's got th- at least three of those. Can he do that? I, I'm sure. His team is the best team he's had. He's got to know this. This is his third campaign now. He's no longer susceptible to rookie mistakes. He's got a pretty good strategist. We'll see where it goes. He's been pretty, pretty brutal to DeSantis. Let's see how he handles when people attack back, because I think Chris Christie's going to get in there 
He'll attack. Mike Pence will get in there. He'll have mild attacks. But we'll see how Donald Trump does uh, in the eye of the storm. So the other big story is the debt ceiling. Yeah, June 1st, if we don't find a way to lift the debt ceiling, we fail on all of our credit and we get downgraded from uh, the Fitch people, which is not good. We lose our AAA rating. That's people investing and people investing lose some money. But Kevin McCarthy, got to give him credit. He does every interview after these meetings. He lets everybody know his point of view. I think he's already got them to agree to repurposing the pandemic spending. They didn't want to do that. I think they also are trying to get workfare in for welfare for able-bodied people. People like uh, the squad don't want any part of work, period. But so far, I think that the left feels as though uh, they are in charge. And Bernie Sanders is running this organization and running this negotiation. Here's what Kevin McCarthy said, how he'd characterize what's happening behind closed doors, cut 19. We've offered a lot of concessions. The cap on the spending is a Democrat idea. The work, the work requirement was a Democrat idea. The time, I can't help it if the Democrats have become so extreme and now is a party of Bernie Sanders than the party where Joe Biden was elected. Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He is the head Democrat. But if AOC and Bernie Sanders is going to run their party, that's not my fault. I'm not even sure Bernie Sanders is a registered Democrat. So they were calling press conferences yesterday, Hakeem Jeffries and the squad and some people I didn't know there. I'm kind of watching it on C-SPAN. I'm saying, what's going on? So they don't know what's going on. Hakeem Jeffries volunteered to leave with Mitch McConnell and Schumer. He says, let's just let the president work this out with the House. Okay. So they were actually calling press conferences saying in general what I hear is going on. So you talk about a fractured caucus. That was, this reminds me of when Boehner was in charge and nobody was listening to him. So McCarthy just says, listen, I'm going to kill you with availability. So he'll just sit there and take question after question. And he's a likable guy. He doesn't lose his temper that I could see. And he sees the big picture. He's worried about the markets, so he starts to talk more optimistic than maybe he feels. It only dropped 44 points yesterday. I'll talk about all that, take your calls on how you think this is going to end up, because I got my view, and I'll give it to you next. I don't want to take too much time away from your calls, one 408 7669 or write me at com. Uh, Josh Kroshauer at the bottom of the hour. Uh, don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can launch a presidential campaign poorly and still win your party's nomination. It's happened. But this is a, it's a free shot at doing something really well. And if you do it really well, it can be something that people remember forever. And 2008, where you know Hillary Clinton announced from her sunroom, you had Barack Obama at the old state house in, in, uh, in Springfield, Illinois, on a cold day giving an inspiring speech that produced not just a huge audience to watch it initially, but yeah, it, was in, was it was in thousands of Obama campaign ads. It was a yeah. moment that people looked back on, set the tone and tenor for the campaign and gave them enormous amounts of coverage. And uh, people at Hillary Clinton's world thought that she gave a very nice speech in that sunroom, but it was not a thing yeah. anybody would ever remember again. It was a missed opportunity.
I, you know, Jonathan Heilman is not wrong. And, but what you do after is really key. I can remember the best the Kamala Harris was awesome in her open remarks. In fact, President Trump at the time said, man, I watched it. That was great. The crowd was great. The speech was great. The content was strong. But by the first interview, she blew herself up talking about the border wall, immigration, uh, health care, mandatory health care for everybody. Just it was all over the map. That's the type of person she is. She's not buttoned up. She doesn't study. She doesn't read the policy papers. Couldn't keep a staff. DeSantis got the money. He's got the foundation. He's got the staff. He's got the people. He's got a lot of Ted Cruz people. He's got a lot of Tallahassee people. And he's got a ton of money. He's got two super PACs. I think he's going to be able to knock on every door. I don't, you know, I don't know why he opened up the way he did, but I think I'm open to saying there's no one way. And then Governor DeSantis is in an interesting spot. If you are Barack Obama, you say to yourself, I'm pretty sure I can get a pretty good crowd, even because I'm a really good speaker and I've, I've had a best selling book already. I'm pretty sure I can get a pretty, pretty good crowd in Illinois. All right. He did it. Now, Trump can get a big crowd anywhere. You know who might not get the crowd and will always be. Compared to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Governor, President Trump will always have the biggest crowds, most enthusiastic crowds of any politician in all of our lifetime. I can't see anybody matching it. Maybe if some celebrity decides to get in who's got an incredible popularity, Michael Jordan or something, it might be a different story. But you've got to have mixed that with personality and execution and accomplishment in the business world and the political world. So maybe he's saying, let me just avoid this. Let me just get in this race. I've already had the big crowds in my book tour. I know what it's like to win uh, the governorship. I don't need the crowd. I don't know what went into it, but I will find out because I know a lot of the DeSantis people, and I'll find out what went happened. Here's more from Heilman. Cut 15. Donald Trump, for all the criticism and all the terrible things that he said when he got down to the end of that escalator in 2016, right. people t- still talk about it today. Donald Trump coming down the escalator in, in Trump Tower. He made an iconic moment for himself. And part of the reason I was, I was trying to remember, Bill Clinton announcing, also announced the old state house in, in October of 1991 in Little Rock, a thing that, again, was in campaign ads for all of 1992. Can you win without a great launch? You can. But you have, you have a, an, an, there's a free throw here. And you have all the time in the world, as Ron DeSantis has, to set this up and get it right. And they blew it in yeah. that sense. A missed opportunity. And yeah, uh, I, I appreciate that. I just saw a good, solid analysis on MSNBC, which you almost never get. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. I don't think people are going to remember it. I think he's got two good ads out, I'll tell you that. Uh, two really good ads. We'll see. The whole key is how he responds to the Trump criticism, one by one, on taxes, on Social Security, everything like that. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And the pledge I'll make for people is simply this. Uh, we need to win again as Republicans. we got to dispense with this culture of losing. And if you nominate me, uh, I pledge to you that on January 20th, 2025, at high noon, that I'll be the guy on the west side of the Capitol uh, with the left hand on the Bible and the right hand in the air, taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. No more excuses. We've got to get this one done. And that is uh, Governor DeSantis last night, who wants to be President DeSantis. He was on with Trey after uh, uh, the Twitter situation did not work out. Uh, let's go bring in Josh Krasher, the senior political correspondent at Axios. You saw him on Special Report last night. Josh, how big a deal was the debacle with, with um, Elon Musk? 
I, I think it's a pretty big deal. Uh, look, I don't think everyone remembers every candidate's announcement and even mistakes that are made along the way, but it's extending a pattern of mistakes that the DeSantis operation has uh, engaged in dating back to early in the year when uh, they didn't engage Trump. They delayed their official presidential campaign announcement. They've leaned into some of these issues that, frankly, I don't think a, a whole lot of of voters are, are quite as animated about as, as DeSantis himself, and uh, especially the Disney, the fight with Disney right now. And uh, look, I, I think this is sort of the capstone of it all, where it's, there's a phenomenon where a lot of politicians in both parties are on Twitter all the time. They're on social media, and they sometimes lose touch with how ordinary people watch the news, watching it on Fox, watching it, uh, reading the newspaper, kind of doing it the old-fashioned way. And look, Twitter is still a space that not a lot of people are on and certainly not a lot of like older voters that participate in Republican primary politics are involved in. So it was embarrassing enough to have the glitch and to you know have it go uh, you know problematically but I just the, the decision to to this is your one chance if you're a presidential candidate to have everyone in the country everyone in the world really to pay attention to your announcement your kickoff announcement and the fact that you want to do it on Twitter which is a much smaller audio-only medium instead of actually having a, a big rally in Florida where, where, where your thousands of your biggest fans are, are cheering you on in front of an American flag, in front of your wife and kids. I, I don't understand the logic of, of doing that, and I think it, it reflects some strategic missteps that this campaign has been making along the way. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But as I brought up last block, uh, Senator Harris had the best speech ever for a Democrat. I felt everybody that rolled out last time, big crowd, wonderful applause lines, well-delivered, beautiful day. And even Donald Trump, who was president at the time, says, man, that was good. And we know what a disaster she was in her first sit-down. I think DeSantis excels in sit-downs. And if I was him, I'd go on CNN. I would go into hostile territory after. And because he has, he does great when pressed. And if people have to say, don't say gay bill and book banning, mislabeling what he thinks he's done, th- that's a problem. When asked, he does a great job defining himself. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. I think he has a great record, too, in, in Florida. I mean, there's a, sometimes you get lost in kind of the nitty-gritty. The, the, the big-picture record for the governor is really, really good. He, he basically has been a successful executive of the third biggest state in the country. He was one of the most successful governors in, in not freaking out over the COVID crisis and actually keeping the economy strong and not shutting down. Uh, which is something he did talk about in the, in, the, in the Twitter conversation. But I think the big picture is the economy and making sure the state didn't flounder during, during that, that COVID period. You know, he is, I, I think a lot of the, the, the woke issues uh, in the big, the big picture sense, I think, are, are smart. But when you get involved in sort of all the acronyms and abbreviations and, and the kind of the details, it can lose a lot of people because I don't know if everyone's following it to the same degree that the, the governor and some of his big supporters are. Uh, but look, he has an economic record to cheer about. He has a record of, of keeping the state open during COVID that I think a lot of people uh, paid attention to and put him on the political map. He needs to focus on, on the big picture issues that voters care about, Republican voters care about. I, I think the risk he faces is kind of narrow casting to t- Twitter spaces and going on, you know, podcasts that, you know, certainly have, you know, a fan base, but but he needs to get attention from the larger electorate, the average Iowa voter, the average New Hampshire voter. And uh, I don't know if last night accomplished that goal. Uh, I want you to hear what Newt Gingrich said, cut 12. I think he has to find a big, positive message 
And I think you're right. It mostly is about the economy. Uh, and he has to communicate somehow that he's uniquely different from Trump, uh, that he's the guy who can get it done. Possible? Yeah, I mean, look, I, he, he has the record. He, he, he the, the line that he's sort of mentioned at times is that he's actually done the work. He, he's actually effectively governed where Trump has, you know, picked the fights, but hasn't, you know, he's pointed to, to, to the limitations he had as president in getting his agenda passed. Uh, that's what we should be hearing from, from the governor. We should be seeing more of a contrast against Donald Trump, who, by the way, like is up by 30, 40 points in all the latest polls, the Fox poll uh, that came out uh, yesterday. Trump has a you know, 30, I believe a 33 point lead. I mean, eventually DeSantis is going to have to make the case why he, not Trump, should be the Republican nominee. And uh, that, 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 that's that got to come sooner than later. That, that's going to be the, the prerequisite in, in people considering an alternative to the former president. So the one thing he says, words like winning, trust, and sanity. Those are subtle hits to Trump because he's got to do what I don't know is possible. Win, beat Trump, and bring his voters with him. So if you win a if you win a brawl, but you walk out with no supporters, there's no sense having the fight. That that's right. And and look, I I think that Trump isn't subtle when he makes his case. When he's on the attack, there's no subtlety there. It, it is in your face, and it is it is, it is literally mano a mano. And DeSantis, you know, he's talking about the culture of losing, where he doesn't mention Trump's name, but everyone knows what he's talking about. But like, he's not very explicit about making the the contrasts clear. And eventually, he's gonna he's gonna have to do that. He's gonna have to go at the debate stage if Trump shows up at the Fox debate in August and and make the case against Trump to his face. And uh, he seems a little re- little bit reticent to do that. But ultimately, if you want to be the guy, you've got to beat the guy in front of you. And I haven't seen that kind of fire in the belly from DeSantis. He he certainly knows how to pick fights, uh, Brian. He he's been doing it his whole career in Florida, but he seems to be a little reticent about picking a fight against Trump, who ultimately is is, is the front runner and is ahead of him in the poll. So Truth Social, Donald Trump's site, he put the he posted this. I'd like to personally congratulate Rob, hmm, the sanctimonious. On finally announcing that he'll be entering the race for president of the United States. Hopefully, he'll get the full experience of being attacked by the Marxist, communist, and radical left lunatics in our country. Without that, we'll never know the kind of job he is doing. These lowlifes and misfits are far worse than the leaders of hostile foreign relations. They must be soundly defeated in order to make America great. So calling him Rob is new. Then he said, Rob, my red button is bigger, better, stronger, and is working. Truth. Yours does, too, per my conversation with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, soon to become my friend. So no one knows what to, to make of that. Do you? Is that one of the – I know he doesn't drink, but it's one of those drunk texts where you go, what was I thinking? Yeah, we, we need to have like a Trump truth social interpreter because <laughs> some of these – I, you know, I don't know the Rob reference. Like, uh, do you? That was a little yeah. confusing. I don't. I, don't, I honestly, have, I don't. Haven't heard a good answer on where, where that came from. And the, I mean, I, I don't know what he's talking about with the with the red button. Maybe it's an allusion to like his national security credentials. I, I, I really don't know. And that look, I think that is the worry. If you're if you're in the Trump Trump campaign, the one thing that surprised a whole lot of um, you know observers and analysts is how professional Trump's operation has been this year, and that they really are. Going after DeSantis, they're laying out what he, you know the message pretty clearly on a day to day basis. Um, but Trump himself has not really changed, and and we're seeing from these uh, tweets on Truth Social, 
you know, it's a lot little bit confusing and he's not really <laughs> disciplined and on message. So, I mean, that, that is, look, I, I think there are a lot, the reason, no one's going after Trump yet, but I think one of the reasons you're seeing that reticence of DeSantis and others is they, they, they think that maybe Trump is going to kind of, you know, whether it's through some of these indictments, perhaps coming down the pike or just some of his own, you know, tweets or, you know, comments, they think he may, you know, lose some steam on his own. I, I'm not convinced of that. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. But um, this is an example of, of the Trump that is not um, built to last in a, in a presidential election. So let's talk about the debt ceiling. I, I just find it unbelievable in the big picture that the president of the United States would cut off the trip to Australia and the one to Papua New Guinea, which is important. sounds funny, but it's actually really important. They took a day off from school and work, and they painted the whole place for the first president ever to visit. And he blows it off, comes back, nothing gets done. And now he's going to Camp David, and then he's going to his summer home during Memorial Day? Well, yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 the ultimate question is whether we can avert a disaster with, with the debt ceiling. And, Brian, one thing that I think gets underplayed in Washington is that Kevin McCarthy has so far really won Everything. the yeah. debate against – President Biden, you know, he, he remember it wasn't that long ago that the president was saying, "I'm not going to negotiate with anyone in the in the Republican caucus. They're way too extreme." And now he's actually playing ball and, and accepting. It sounds like some of the some of the provisions, not everything, but some of the the spending cuts or at least uh, restraint on spending that Republicans passed in the House. So, look, Kevin McCarthy has already won on the politics. The fact that Biden has moved closer to where Republicans were when he said he was never going to do that. Uh, is a really important sign. And I, look, I think McCarthy, uh, I remember when, when, when George W. Bush was president, he talked about the bigotry of low expectations. Well, I think you could say the same for Kevin McCarthy, because not a lot of people gave him, uh, <laughs> they thought he was going to do much with a narrow majority in the House. And he he's essentially beat the Democrats on crime, on immigration. And it seems like he may get some some major compromises when it comes to this uh, spending cuts and the debt ceiling. And Josh, I know you've been all over the president thing. So I, at Axios, you got a wide, you got a, a wide beat there. But what I understand they basically agreed on is repurposing the pandemic funds. But I also think that they've got some semblance of a workfare agreement when it comes to welfare for those eligible for it. And everyone should agree in certain situations, it's not possible. And those two things, now they're trying to, they're trying to uh, cut down the 87,000 IRS agents and go back to 2022 spending. Anything else, areas of agreement or real contention our audience should know about? Well, I've heard that the IRS, that some of the, tax, the IRS tax provisions actually may be going the Republicans' way. I've heard the Democrats are holding the line a lot more when it comes to making work requirements uh, you know, uh, as, as a demand of, of getting welfare benefits. So we'll, we'll, those, the, the nitty-gritty is going to be hashed out. We'll find out pretty soon where, where the compromise, if there is one, is reached. Uh, there's also a question of like how much – will it be defense spending cuts or restraint? Or, you know, I, I think Republicans are actually for raising some spending levels for national security, and, and I think the president would be satisfied just holding the line. So I think – you know, he, he where, where they get the spending cuts from and how they end up kind of reaching cert, certain levels of spending, it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I do think there are going to be uh, spending cuts or at least uh, movement in that direction, and that's a big victory for, for right. Republicans. Right. So but the thing is I'm amazed at is uh, Kevin McCarthy is making himself available and some other lawmakers in there making himself available nonstop. How many questions? Okay, I'll sit here. I'm optimistic. We're going to get something done. The president, whatever you want. But they're available and they're talking in an upbeat way and not not yelling at people. President's been invisible. 
uh, KJP has been uninformed to say, yeah, I don't really know that. Doesn't really approach me. You know, I don't know if they're doing in clear, clear faith. So they've lost the communications battle. So therefore, you see Akeem Jeffries calling his own press conference, the squad calling their own press conference. Jerry Nadler was caught up to. Listen to him, cut 18. Well, number one, I don't think it, it appears that both sides want to make concessions. Uh, the uh, Republicans have made very clear that, they're making, that they want to make no concessions at all. That quote that we heard from um, um, Matt, Gates. Matt Gates that we're, mm-hmm. we're holding that uh, we're not going to negotiate with our ho- we're not going to negotiate with our hostage. You didn't hear the speaker contradict that, and we haven't seen the speaker being willing to make any uh, concessions whatsoever. Appear to no be. Concessions. No concessions. Appear to be. Apparently. They're not in. They don't know. Yeah. Uh, Brian, one rule of politics that I always subscribe to is that the party that's united is the one that's winning. The one that's divided is the one that's losing. Look, uh, Republicans are united so far. They, the, even the Freedom Caucus folks, they have not uh, criticized Kevin McCarthy. They may be some internal disagreements, but Kevin McCarthy has kept everything inside the family. And in this, this past week, you've seen AOC, Pramila Jayapal, Nadler. You have a bunch of progressives saying different things in the leadership. They're all over the map, and that shows you how their negotiating strategy has fallen apart and why I think you're going to end up seeing some some notable concessions when assuming that a compromise is indeed reached. I would think it's going to be reached. Do you? Do you you see them just paying certain bills that's been done before in the past and it goes past June 1st? It's like studying for like a final. You you, you you do it and you end up doing it and you get it done. Uh, but if you wait till the last minute. You procrastinate. This is how these uh, negotiations always seem to end up working. I, I think the big question is, is, is it a short is there a short term sort of fix? And then there's a longer deal that comes across after that. Or or is it all uh, hashed out in, 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 in before June 1st? Uh, I, I think we'll probably see the deadline move back a little bit. But ultimately, they will be, in my my guess, uh, a compromise reach. You know, it make you looking at the barbecue with one eye and the other eye watch you listening to the television, wondering if you have to go to work and write about a debt deal this Memorial Day weekend. Josh, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Have a good holiday weekend. You too. Always appreciate the insight. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, uh, we'll take your calls. one 408 7669 You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. In January 2020, he was assigned to what he calls a high-profile investigation. Who's the subject of the investigation? I can't confirm or deny the, the subject of this investigation. Why not? Because, you know, part of the tax secrecy laws don't allow it. Shapley can't say it, but CBS News has learned the investigation was the probe of Hunter Biden by the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware. Senior Biden administration officials have vowed to let it run its course without interference. But CBS News has obtained this letter Shapley's lawyers sent to Congress Monday alleging irregularities in DOJ's handling of the investigation. Shapley is seeking legal protections from Congress so he can share specifics of his allegations. That is CBS, and that is a whistleblower, the second one on a guy unnamed, but we all know, as he concluded, Hunter Biden. Whistleblowers need protections. We always thought they got protections. Vinman got protections, didn't he? He was held up as a hero. How dare you even say anything about him? 
But we watched four FBI agents testify last week on how they were really destroyed. They were fired. They can't even get their records to get another job, get a firearms license. It's all kept under lock and key. That's called retribution. And we thought we would not allow that in this country. It's nuts. Absolutely insane what's happening. And for CBS to report it. uh, By the way, I watched Anderson Cooper a little bit last night just to see if they were. They did a segment on it. And you know, right now, James Comer is trying to going to sit down with Christopher Ray in an attempt to get the paperwork necessary for a whistleblower to come forward that shows that Joe Biden was doing deals and getting paid off when he was vice president. Cynthia, listen on WTKF over in North Carolina. Hey, Cynthia. Hey, Brian. Good to hear from you. Love your show. Love Fox News. I'm going to use um, the debate uh, for August with the Republican primary uh, candidates. I'm going to do a sports analogy here. Okay, we got all these uh, candidates in great team, great, great for the Republican Party. So you know what? Donald Trump, as you've always said, has the best team head coaches he's ever had in in an election. So why not sit back, let these guys uh, and Nikki Haley and anybody else debate it out, and then let President, former President Trump's team. Uh, have a semifinal. <laughs> That's good. That's interesting. Have a You guys battled out for number two. I'll take your number two, but I'm not going to take all eight. I think all eight actually helps Trump. From the Fox News radio studios in midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This hour, I hope we can get it all in. Jeff Benedict, who wrote the best-selling book on LeBron James, who brought his team to the semifinals, swept out, talking about retirement. Jeff Benedict, one of the, a, a prolific author, great biographer, will be with us. Uh, and by the way, if you want to talk about a sport that has young people watching, I, the youngest, I believe, is the NBA. Uh, Varney and company will do go inside the economy and other things, whatever Stewart has on his mind. I will try to handle, and he will disagree about something. And Mark Thiessen standing by, Washington Post columnist, uh, Fox News contributor, and really smart guy, and he's tall. Uh, Mark, welcome. <laughs> Good to be with you. Hey, uh, first off, uh, let's get it out of the way. Uh, the Twitter debacle, big deal or not? Not a debacle. Not what? a debacle at all. That's a, that's a left-wing spin on this. 6.5 million people tuned in. To that Twitter, where'd you get that event. number? That is, I did not hear from, that uh, number. That's from that's from that's from, uh, from Twitter. That's from uh, that's uh, that's from uh, who's the guy who interviewed him? Sachs. Um, okay, because so I heard a million. Out. So it's you the, heard six. That's interesting. Well, there was a million at the start, but over the course of the whole event, six point five million. Uh, that's the biggest live event ever on social media, and so it crashed the system. You know what? If six point five million, that's double the viewers that tuned into Trump's town hall. So I don't know how that how having millions of people tune in, so many people tune in. That you crash the system is a debacle. It's 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 the opposite of a debacle. <laughs> so you know, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, maybe maybe uh, you know, the CNN and other people don't like it because they got they got more viewers on Twitter Spaces than uh, than they got for their Trump uh, Trump event. So I just don't see. I think I, I think that's a triumph. I think that's a you know, he's the Kim Kardashian of Republican politics. He crashed the internet. So he said. Uh, I, I <laughs> by the way, I just don't understand the audio. The choice to not have video. Was bizarre. Yeah, I, I assume you could have video on on Twitter, so I don't know. See, but but again, that's all on Musk. 
That's not on that's not on DeSantis. You know, they should have had enough server. They should have anticipated how many people were going to be there and have the server capacity ready. And they probably should have done video. But you know what? He he did that at six. He was with Trey Gowdy on Fox in his first live interview on television uh, as a candidate. Uh, he uh, I, I was on a conference call with him with conservative writers. He did, you know, he had he had multiple rollouts in, a, in a, one night. They raised a million dollars in the first hour. You know, it's six and a half million people tuning into your to your event, trying to get trying to listen. I, I, I'd say it's a pretty good rollout. So a couple of things um, with Ron DeSantis. Number one, he's about 20 points down, but head to head, he beats Joe Biden, uh, even yeah. though it's within the margin of error. I get it. I know it's a national poll. I understand it. I know it's a sample of a thousand. And those experts say it's still reflective. But I don't think the game has started yet. And for the record, this morning, I did mention on the air uh, mm-hmm. that. It is if I was interviewing Ron DeSantis on Fox and if the shot went down da- and, and we lost Fox went down, it wouldn't be Ron DeSantis's fault. Exactly. So but exactly. but the decision, this is an interesting decision, uh, and that is not to have a rally and not to sit there and, and try to pack the place and have the great optics and be able to use that as a possible spot down the line where you might be able to. Well, here's what John Heilman said. He had an interesting take cut 14. You can launch a presidential campaign poorly and still win your party's nomination. It's happened. But this is a, it's a free shot at doing something really well. And if you do it really well, it can be something that people remember forever. And 2008, where you know Hillary Clinton announced from her sunroom, you had Barack Obama at the old state house in, in, uh, in Springfield, Illinois, on a cold day giving an inspiring speech that produced not just a huge audience that watched it initially, but yeah, it, was in, it, was it was in thousands of Obama campaign ads. It was a yeah. moment that people look back on, set the tone and tenor for the campaign and gave them enormous amounts of coverage. And uh, people in Hillary Clinton's world thought that she gave a very nice speech in that sunroom, but it was not a thing yeah. anybody would ever remember again. It was a missed opportunity. So your thought about that, that that's a point, correct? So I guess he's never going to have a rally that he can use for a campaign ad. I mean, that's, that's, I don't get. I don't get the point. He, he crashed Twitter. Uh, he uh, he he got his message out. He's going to have campaign rallies. I mean, you know, I, I just I just don't understand the whole. You know, botch, cool. Botch that's why you're a great guest. That's why you're yeah, great and you. great perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I just I love the fact that you're so rude enough to disagree with the host. How dare you? And who keeps booking you every <laughs> well, you know, week? I, 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 I got to educate you, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, believe me, I find myself the only one defending DeSantis these days. It's almost as if he's the worst guy on the planet. Now, first, give me your perspective. Do you ever remember a number two, clearly number two in all the polls, be so widely attacked by whether it's Nikki Haley trailing him, whether it's Donald Trump leading him, or every Democrat with a microphone, or the President of the United States, the DNC. Yeah, they, I've never seen anything like it. They all see him as a threat. He's being attacked from, by Trump, by the, uh, uh, being insufficiently MAGA. He's being attacked by Nikki Haley as too MAGA, uh, a choice not an echo, you know, I mean, you know, which, by the way, you know, the majority of if you look at the polls, so, you know, the major, the majority of Republicans are uh, considering Trump up, considering other people. But, you know, the 49 percent of Republicans are not locked into Trump. They're, they're open to other candidates. Right. Wall Street Journal poll. So but they all like Trump. They just aren't sure they want to vote for him another time. Yeah. So to 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 attack him as to Trump as too close to Trump as an echo of Trump. Most Republicans would like a, a echo of the things they like in Trump, but not the things they don't like about Trump. So I don't see how that that seems like more of an endorsement than an attack. 
Um, so I, I just don't get the I don't get Nikki Haley's approach. Doesn't make sense to me. It's interesting, you know. Uh, he doesn't want to alienate Trump it's because he, you know, you're never going to win the nomination and and alienate his people. But somehow you got to show he's different while still being friends. It's a fascinating take. We'll never have this again, by the way. Uh, Barack Obama couldn't care less if he was friends with Hillary Clinton, uh, and vice versa. Obviously, they just yeah. wanted to get the nomination. So and and nobody was afraid of getting the wrong side of Joe Biden. They just decided to consolidate, like Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren decide. All right, I'll step aside. For the well, good we're of the party. Need to do that too. Say that again. <laughs> we're going to need to do that too at some point. <laughs> you know, there's going to have to be a consolidation of some at some point. Uh, but you know, this is the start of the campaign. That that, that comes later. So here, here's uh, last night. He t- he talked about how he is going to take on Trump, but not directly. He wasn't asked directly. I, I what, what I'm going to do with him next time I I talk to him, and I know I'll have the opportunity because he does give opportunities and does give interviews. And I think he does better in contentious situations because people mm-hmm. challenge him on book bans. That's not what it is. Well, don't say gay bill. That's not what it is. Uh, when he yeah. talks about uh, when he talks about anything that they want to go after him on pro-life, that's not what he's talking. He wants he needs to be pressed to fully define and flesh out how people are choosing to label him. And he actually does better. And so if I was him, I would sit down with with somebody that's somewhat fair on CNN and MSNBC and Washington Post and New York Times, someone that is just not going to out to do someone to, like me. Yeah. Well, you're watching. Yeah, that's true. He wouldn't have a problem Washington with you. Post. Here, here's what he said about fighting Disney cut for what ended up happening, though, is that they had this cushy arrangement that they got decades ago where they had their own government in Central Florida. They were exempt from laws that everyone else had to follow, and they get, were, got massive tax breaks and even racked up municipal debt. So what we said was, look, we, we're not comfortable having this company on a pedestal joined at the hip with the state of Florida. Our values have just gone in different directions. And so we ended their self-governing status. They now have to live under the same laws as everybody else, and they have to pay their fair share of taxes. So they're in now he's in a blood feud with people with extreme with extremely deep pockets and experienced lawyers. Where would you go with this for, if you're good, DeSantis? Good for him. Our, our people love this. Uh, and, they're, and, and it's right. We, they don't they're not entitled to corporate welfare. I mean, they, you know, they, it's not and it's not anti free market as some conservatives have attacked him to uh, to take on cor- corporate welfare for a company that's trying to undermine uh, the education of children in your state. Look, here's the great thing about DeSantis and what, why, why he has a certain appeal. So if you look at the 2022 midterms, right, the, the disastrous results for Republicans, uh, broadly speaking, we were basically we had we were told we had to choose between two different kinds of candidates and you can't have both. Forward-looking, reform-minded governors like DeSantis, like Kemp, uh, uh, like like DeWine, who were able to appeal to swing voters, and populist rabble-rousers who got the GOP faithful really pumped up but couldn't win over independence. And the thing about DeSantis is you don't have to choose because he's both (laughs) – he is he is a populist. He's taking on Disney. He's sending illegal migrants to Martha's Vineyard. He's doing he's taking on the woke agenda. But look at what he did in the state legislature in in the last few months. School choice, uh, banning ESG investment, uh, the, the constitutional carry legislation, making uh, protecting people by making child rapists eligible for the death penalty, taking on bail reform, the left wing bail reform. He's he's produced a raft of forward-looking conservative reforms that are making people's lives better. And so 
we really don't have to choose between those two things. And he, he offers them both. Um, that's a, and that's a unique position he has in the Republican field. Um, and so, you know, I, we'll see if that if that sells. Uh, it certainly seemed to sell to the 6.5 million people who tuned in for, for, the, for the Twitter spaces thing last night. It certainly sold in Florida. He won by 20 points and he won independents. Uh, he won Hispanics. He won women. Uh, if he can replicate that on the national stage while not conceding anything uh, on terms of fighting wokeness and fighting, uh, taking on the left culture war against the, against the American values, I, don't, I, I see that as a, as a win-win. So you write speeches and you write columns. So mm-hmm. right now, the way he takes on Trump is sanity and truth. Those are the words he used. Sanity mm-hmm. and truth. How much more do you need to do? Do you need to say, I watched President Trump's speech last night. He was all over the place. And he's still relitigating 2020. What the hell? Or do you say, you need, when you speak, you speak forward. Talk about going forward. We need a rational, a rational leader that's going to bring the... Or do you just directly say exactly what bothers you about the guy who's leading you? I, I think you, you focus forward. You focus. Elections are about the future. I think you focus about what you want to do. I think you focus. He should do what Trump should be doing and isn't doing, which is talk about how disastrous the Biden administration is and how much better it could be with, with conservative leadership. And to the extent that Trump wants to relitigate 2020, you just let him. Let him spend his time doing that. Uh, and all you do is you say, look, I'm not here to fight about the 2020 election. I'm here to fight the 2024 election. Um, and you do, he's probably going to take on Trump on substance. I don't think you attack him personally. I don't think you attack him. Even though him, he's attack attacking you personally, even though they're saying I, I you're boring, you, you need a personality transplant. You know, you know what you say? I didn't put Fauci in charge of the economy. <laughs> I, I, I stopped him from being in charge of the economy in Florida. Uh, you know, I, there, there, there are areas, you know, I, you know, where you, where you can draw distinctions with him, yeah. but, you know, but, but you don't, you don't go after him because look, you have to realize the, the people, what you're trying to accomplish as DeSantis or any of these Republican candidates is to separate the, the, the half of the Republican electorate. There's only 24% of Republicans who say they will vote only for their, they're only interested in Trump in the primary. 76% either don't want Trump or are open to somebody else. And so you got to separate those people from Trump who like Trump. And so the way you do it is not by getting in the mud with him and attacking him and echoing the left and their attacks on him. The way you do it is by saying, look, I, 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 the difference between me and Trump is, one, I can serve for two terms. <laughs> two, I can win. We lost the 2020 yeah, election. You keep saying win. And, and I, win. I won. You know, so I'm a winner. I've, I can give you everything that you like about this guy. You don't say it quite in these hey, words. I give you everything you like about this guy without the baggage, and I'm going to win. And I want I'm you to serve, and I'm going to serve for eight years. All right, we got that. I got. I should have left you more time for Ukraine, but I just want you to hear the the leader of the Wagner Group through translation say something. Uh, I've been I've been hearing analysts say, but never somebody in the fight. He just won Bakhmut, and he says this. Cut twenty seven. Now, with regard to demilitarization, if they had 500 tanks at the beginning of special military operation, now they have 5,000. If they had 20,000 able to fight, now they have 400,000 able to fight. So, how did we demilitarize? It turns out that, on the contrary, we have militarized Ukraine. And he talks about this being a mistake that the elites are not letting the the, the child, children of elites are not going into this war, avoiding the draft. 
and how this could be 1917 in Russia again. I read this thing twice. Now, I'm open to the fact that he might not be as candid, but what does that tell you about the reality of what's about to happen, knowing the offensive is going to be happening shortly, if not happening already, for Ukrainians? Yeah, I mean, I think it's remarkable that the head of the Wagner Group is speaking out against Putin this openly and this brazenly. Uh, you know, the, 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 it seems like the fear of Putin is now, who, who knows, he could end up, you know, falling out of a window somewhere. <laughs> so he's got a lot of security. Right. <laughs> so he's got a lot of people under arms. So he's probably, it's, he's probably harder to kill than some oligarch who's in a hotel and suddenly trips down a staircase or falls out of a window like a lot of these guys who dare to criticize Putin. Who gets Putin poisoned, yeah. But, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I think that's quite remarkable. I think this look, this war has clearly backfired on Putin. It's and uh, and uh, it, it's quite frankly, it's, it's putting his uh, his rule at risk. Fascinating. I just think the people that were standing by uh, Ukraine, hoping they got it together, knowing they've already sacrificed 42,000 civilians. Yeah. I think the I think the best is yet to come. I hope for their so sake. I've got, a, I've got a big piece in The Washington Post next Tuesday. 4,000-word piece laying out the America first case for you for helping Ukraine. Uh, I want to talk to you about it next week when uh, when it comes out. You know I'll be the first to call. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great right. weekend. Take care. You got it. 1-866-408-7669. Bottom of the hour, Jeff Benedict. We take a break from politics, talk a little basketball. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's go to Alex, listening on WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, uh, to the voters, if you want to make an educated, informed vote about which is the best candidate in the upcoming Republican primaries, make sure that you go beyond just sound bites on radio and television. So go read the uh, Wall Street Journal, read the New York Times, uh, read things that are in-depth, and pick one area that is of interest to you, for example, health care, and read about it. And and take that knowledge and make an informed vote. Too often people just use sound bites I and they you. end up with a distorted view of the world and they make the disastrous choice. And, and the thing is, too, you can, in a case of DeSantis or a congressman, find out where they voted. Find out what they stand for and find out how they voted and find out what they've done. Uh, with uh, Trump, we all know what he's done and didn't do, and, and you kind of made your decision. Alex, are you a teacher? Um, yes, I, I do teach part-time. Uh, Sounds it. So, yeah, yeah. You, it would be great. I would love for people to take – you don't have to live it like uh, like we do. But i just love for people to take their time and understand that, you know, a 30-second ad should get you interested enough to look into something. And when someone does an attack ad – Opposition research. Find out what's true or not. And that's why if I am DeSantis, I can't wait for someone to tell me I am banning books. I look forward to someone saying I'm raising the retirement age to 70. I look forward to him saying I'm looking to give everybody a 25% tax. Because if you remove the rest of the taxes from a fair tax, you're actually paying, for the most part, less. You get less write-offs. That used to be a conservative position. And then you start getting into the situation so you'd want that. And I just found the best candidates want the difficult interviews because they have the answers. 
If you have the answers, you want the hard questions. The problem is when your answers aren't good, then you try to avoid it until the controversy calms down. Believe me, they're all going to make mistakes and they're going to want to avoid some. DeSantis does better at that than most. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, got a lot to think about. And that is uh, LeBron James after getting swept by the Denver Nuggets, uh, having a remarkable run on the playoffs from a guy who's on, on a team that started off horrendously. Everybody was injured. They came back. They won the play-in game and advanced to the semifinals. He's wondering, at his age, does he want to keep playing, knowing his son is entering USC? Joining us now is Jeff Benedict, a multi-New York Times bestselling author. And his latest book is a bestseller uh, called LeBron. I was just in the airport. It is everywhere. Jeff, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back with you again. Of course, you did the definitive biography, I, my view, on Tiger Woods, too. So we'll talk about that. But first, we, is LeBron serious or just exhausted? Uh, both. Uh, I think he's both serious and exhausted. It's at his age, you know, he's 38. He's been doing this for 20 years. Uh, the NBA has an incredibly long season and the playoffs are like a second season. And he took his team all the way to the Western conference finals. Um, he's tired, you know, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And, uh, so I think he's, he's both serious and tired. He does have a lot to think about Brian. Um, he doesn't have anything left to prove to anybody. And um, I think when players like him and Tom Brady get to the end of a season, they do have a lot to think about. They're they're older than all the other guys. They, they're fathers and husbands with families and grown kids. And they have a lot of things going on besides the, the sport. And so I think you, you were seeing and hearing all of that in his voice the other night. How well did he play in your view? I thought he played off the charts. I mean, 30 points in the first half, finished with 40, uh, one, you know, rebound shy of a triple-double. He played every minute of the game other than the four se- last four seconds of the first half. By the way, none of the younger players on either team did that. So I thought he he, he plays remarkably well, especially given the fact that he's older than everyone else on the floor. Yeah, and uh, and they did surprise, and they did seem to make the the right coaching change in the beginning of the year, and they did start off with maybe I think they were five and fifteen or something horrendous like that to start the year. <laughs> Two and ten. <laughs> Two and ten, uh, and they end up coming all the way back. It's kind of an interesting playoff. On the side note, too, what Miami's done been absolutely unbelievable. What Butler has pulled off, uh, which I've never seen anything like it from a player that was never supposed to be that good. Uh, was supposed to be good, but not one of the top five players in the league. And he did this during the pandemic year when they lost to the Lakers, Miami. And now they, they're another eight seed with, who won the play-in game and is now one win away from getting to the finals. You know, the thing, you're right. I mean, Jimmy Butler's like a junkyard dog. I mean, you don't want to get in a fight with him. And the Celtics have been in a fight with him, and they've been losing the entire way. One of the things, if you want to take the Miami situation back and, and put it in the context of LeBron, I think it says more about the Celtics than it does about the Heat. That team is loaded. They've got two superstars. They've got arguably the most talent on one team in the Eastern Conference. 
and they have yet to win a championship, and they're not going to win one this year. And what that tells you is it tells you how hard it is to do what LeBron has done, what Steph Curry has done. These guys who have won multiple championships, it's a really, really hard thing to do at that level. And the Heat are demonstrating that by what they've been doing to the Celtics in these playoffs. Um, absolutely. So let, let's talk about LeBron. The, the, the conventional wisdom was he wants to play against or with his son. Why so close would he stop now? Knowing that he accepted a scholarship, I'm sure he's already a million, multimillionaire with this whole NIL stuff. So yeah. uh, with Bronny in, at USC, why wouldn't he keep playing? I, I don't think it's a matter of LeBron changing his mind. I think it's, look, one of the things I like about LeBron is he's unafraid and unabashed about expressing his his love and his passion for his kids, you know, more so than any other athlete we watch. LeBron does it. And he was very vocal about wanting to play with his son. But here's the thing. I mean, his son is going to be a freshman in college. Who knows what he wants to do? Does Does he want to? play for three or four years? Does he want to be a college student? Does he want to enjoy the experience of being at USC? I think what you're hearing in LeBron is an acknowledgement that what he wants, it may not be exactly the same thing that his son wants. Not to say that his son wouldn't want the, the honor of playing with his dad, but it's also like his son has his own life. And I think, you know, LeBron probably recognizes that as much as he'd like to play with his son, whether that can actually yeah. happen in a practical way is different. Understood. And you know what? He might not be that good. He may be, obviously, Division One scholarship to, to be the widely recruited. Got to be a four or five star. Got it. But how many of them don't pan out? I mean, 1% make it to the NBA, correct? Yeah, it's a tremendous amount of pressure, you know, even to put on the the son. And I think, you know, being the son of someone like Tom Brady or LeBron James or these guys, it, it's just that alone. Even if you're not an athlete, it's a massive amount of pressure to be the son of somebody that famous. We see the same thing in other forms of entertainment, the music industry, Hollywood. It's a lot of pressure on a kid. And Bronny, for all that we can see, has shouldered it pretty well. But LeBron was built to deal with this kind of scrutiny because he was compared to Michael Jordan as a teenager. It, it may very well be that, you know, Bronny would like – maybe not to have that much visibility and pressure on him. And for the league, do you think LeBron has done as much for the league as Jordan has done? I mean, I don't get the sense that he's viewed the same way outside his circles. As as much money as he made, the championships he's won, as well he's playing at 40 years old, got it. But I just don't get the same feeling, having lived through Jordan, that I'm getting about him. I hear what you're saying, Brian, and I lived through Jordan, too, and saw him play live many times. I think what Jordan did for the league was transformative in terms of saving the game. Um, he he changed the NBA at a time when the NBA was, you know, in a rough place. Magic and Larry had it on life support, kept it going, and then Jordan came and did two things. He elevated the NBA to the point where it was like America's game while he was in the league. But he also changed the sneaker industry in a way that affected America's culture. Those were huge paradigm shifts that Jordan did. What LeBron has done, I think, is equally powerful but different. In other words, 
he didn't change the game of basketball the way that Michael did. But what he did change is the business of basketball. And I think every player that's in the NBA today realizes that. They understand it. Regardless of how they feel about LeBron personally, they respect the fact that he has changed the business of basketball and improved it immensely for players. He's equaled the scales between owners and players. He's, he's responsible for elevating salaries and bargaining power. He's changed a lot of things for players that I think will be appreciated even more historically as we get further away from his career. I want to talk about Tiger Woods. He's pulled out of another major. It looks like he has planta uh, something or other. Uh, he's got other issues. I guess it could be stemming all from the accident. Do you think he's basically done? You know, it's an interesting question um, because we've been talking about LeBron and we've talked about Tom Brady. And I think the hardest moment for any athlete, not just the superstars, but any athlete, is when they're standing at the precipice looking over it and realizing that the end might be here. And that's an even harder moment when you've reached the status of LeBron or Tom Brady or Tiger. It's hard to accept the end. I think Tiger's been... He's been at that precipice actually for a long time. Brady got off the stage and, you know, he's walked away. LeBron is probably close to that. Tiger's been limping along. I mean, quite literally limping along. And I think at some point, you know, he's probably going to have to just exit because he's the kind of guy who isn't playing just to play. He plays to win and he can't win. You can't win when you can't make it through four rounds because of physical limitations. And that's really what it is for him. It's not a mental thing with him. It's a physical thing. Yeah. I mean, it's and not like, well, I, he's getting older. The swing's gotten less. He's not driving as far. Those would, those would be the good problems to have. You change your yeah. game. You figure out a way. And he's great at and that. He, but we don't know what that leg looks like. No, he, you're right. He is great at that. He's he, mentally a genius at that. But there's only so much you can do with – body parts that have screws in them and plates in them and things like that. He's been operated on so many times. He's broken bones. He's had vertebrae problems. Now he's got leg and ankle problems. It's like at some point he is going to have to hang it up because he just simply can't compete physically. I know. You would think he's a middle linebacker, the type of injuries he had. Uh, I'll tell you, congratulations, Jeff. The book is already a bestseller. has been from the day it launched. It's called LeBron. Guys, pick it up. Get a perspective, a real fair look and deep look into the greatest player of his generation, some say ever. Jeff, congratulations. Thank you, Brian. All right. uh, Varney and Company next. Simulcast. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. We're going to do a simulcast. This is the guy with the deep voice said. Now, listen, on the back end, uh, I'll be able to take some calls right before. Stuart usually gives me about two minutes, two and a half at the end of this to close out the hour on the Thursday edition. And what we've been talking about, and as you know, we're talking about DeSantis' big appearance. We're talking about uh, Donald Trump's retort on Truth Social. One, in the beginning, I understand it. Why he's calling him Rob and not Ron is weird. Um, I don't get it, to, to be clear. And uh, the other thing was happening in Ukraine. 
Uh, let's listen in and hear Stewart. Well, here is He's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Brian, welcome back to the show. I want you to listen to what um, he had to say on day one. This is, uh, this is DeSantis. What he had to say on day one about the border crisis. Watch this. Roll it, please. Day one, it's a national emergency. We'll mobilize all resources to construct the border wall, shut the border down. We'll finally get that done and take care of it because Republicans have been asking about this for years and years and years. I follow through. I'll use all the levers at my disposal to be able to get it done, and we will finally put this issue to bed once and for all. Hey, Brian, do you think that was a dig at Donald Trump? Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, but he didn't say he didn't do it. Like Governor Sununu is coming out and say he didn't do it. Governor Christie says he didn't do it. I wouldn't approach it that way. The way he said it is the right way to do it, because you know what yeah. President Trump tried to do. He did everything possible. He got $1.8 billion for the wall yeah. from Paul Ryan twice. You need $10 billion. He got 450 miles done. They said, well, a lot of it was redone. Well, some of it was split rail fence. So I don't consider that replacement. You know, the, those other the crazy other, uh, those other, or the razor wire. So this stuff was put in there. Now, you know what drives me crazy, Stuart? We have an affiliate in McCallum, Texas, and there is fence laying in between blocks that we paid for, a wall that we paid for, and just on spite even though we watch it working on a daily basis when everyone was watching Title 42 go away, every network was down there. And we're seeing how good the wall was as opposed to the big gaps, the 12 gaps in Arizona. And out of spite, we paid for it, taxpayers, and it's laying in the desert, laying yeah. between blocks. And there's it's a pathetic. contractor already paid to put it up, and he's being paid not to work. It's pathetic and ridiculous, frankly, when you've got a border crisis like this. Next one. Do you think that last night's performance from DeSantis, uh, and I'm not just talking about Twitter, but also his appearance on Fox, do you think it helped or hurt Trump? Good question. You know, to see the typical big rally, Obama style, Kamala Harris had a great rollout, by the way. I don't know if you remember that. Even Donald Trump commented, man, she's going to be good, and she ended up being terrible in the interview. Hmm. I think DeSantis says, I got a lot of money. I got like six months. I don't have a, I don't have a caucus till January. Let me introduce myself, make it official, game on. So he's going to do it different. It was pointed out to me by Mark Thiessen, who was just on the show, that they yeah. got 6.5 million people. How many rollouts had 6.5 million people? That's sure. who came on Twitter. And the reason it crashed, Elon Musk believes, is because the amount of people that came on uh, uh, the Twitter, that Twitter access. I wouldn't have done it audio. I love audio, obviously, but I would have done it video. But then he looked good with Trey Gowdy, ran through his policies, and now we're on the number one network in television, casual, inform informed conversation, not sensationalistic. So I, I am not against cool. it. I'm open yeah. to not, like, to let, let's, to, let's, let's see what happens. Yeah, okay. Uh, change the subject. Meet New York's Mayor Eric Adams. He wants to suspend the right to shelter for migrants. He says we can't afford, the, the, the city can't guarantee housing for all of them any longer. When is New York going to ditch its sanctuary city, sanctuary city status? He, saw, uh, is, he was on WABC this morning, one of our great affiliates with Sid Rosenberg this morning, and he talked about it, and he said 
Sid, I, I didn't make come up with these policies. I didn't write these laws. I have to live with these laws. Nobody anticipated 44,000 people need to eat and sleep and can't work for minimum 120 days. This is not sustainable. This is what's brilliant about this. We've known this has been a problem, Stuart, since the longest we've worked together, this has been an issue. Some yep. people care about it. Some people don't. Some leaders make it a priority. Others don't. But it's always been a priority. But until they started overwhelming Liberal cities, which is every city, it became an issue now of national persuasion. In Chicago, yep. they're in police stations. In New York, I went by the Roosevelt Hotel the other day. It's already full. People just sitting outside. By the way, not starving. These are not famished people who dress yeah. well. They have decided they like our country better. That's not what asylum was meant for. We know our country's better. Yeah. You know our country's better. How many countries have you been to? That's not the way it works. Right. It's not the way it works. But, uh, so Lucy's going to try. Hopefully mess. people listen. They didn't listen to Adams on the bail law, even though he begged to change it. He backed well, off. Now he's got to continue with press conference after press conference, yeah. get other mayors to do exactly what he's doing. Yes, indeed. Brian, thanks a lot for joining us. See you, you again him. real soon. Go get him, Stuart. All right. Alex, listen to WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. By the way, what you, you were just talking about, you know, Mayor Eric Adams went down to the border and told them that he was going to treat them extremely well here in New York City. So I wouldn't be surprised if so many of the people that are coming here, of these illegal immigrants, are coming here because they're picking the New York City buses that are coming in our direction because he told them he's going to treat them well. But I wanted to comment about Ronda the city is, is one of the most attractive places to go in the country, in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially with the kind of treatment he was promising them, he's going to give yeah. them good stuff. But I wanted to comment on Ron DeSantis, two, two points. I think, number one, the reason why he did the Twitter thing as opposed to having a live audience and having a live stream on all the television networks, which would have gotten him more viewers and a broader audience in terms of getting more Democrats and CNN and, and other platforms as well as Republicans, was because I think he was afraid of getting less viewers on live television than what Trump got when he announced in Mar-a-Lago that he was running. And then Trump would come out and say, hey, you're not as good as I am. People don't like you as much. And that's why I got more people when I live streamed my announcement uh, at Mar-a-Lago on live television. I also want to make another point uh, quickly about Trump supporters. I feel like they're going into this election with way too many feelings and emotions about how they like Trump and how they're connected with him. That what they need to do is they need to cut the crappy emotions and start thinking common sense and logically and at least go into an open into this with an open mind and listen to the arguments that Ron DeSantis is saying. He's not terrible just because he's running against Trump. Listen to the arguments. Listen to Trump's arguments. I know. But don't just say, hey, he's running against Trump. you got to be an establishment Republican. I know. Yeah. Read the arguments. Be mature about it. Don't be emotional. Don't tell me I'm going to root for my team right or wrong. Uh, your vote's worth more than that. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening all week long as we get set for Memorial Day. A look back at all those who served and gave so much uh, for our country and the families they left behind. That's what Memorial Day is about, all these generations. Uh, we take note, we take pause, also use this time to really start summer. In many ways, this hour we're going to be joined by Jimmy Fallon, as well as Jennifer Griffin from the Pentagon, uh, national security. She handles it all. Uh, kind of a, a big day today because we know this. Uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for now, Mark Milley, as well as Secretary of Defense Austin, will hold a press conference in, I guess, about 90 minutes, and they'll give us the state of the of everything with the Pentagon, along with 
uh, along with finding the latest in the Ukraine war. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We've been pretty darn clear that we don't support the use of U.S.-made equipment used for attacks inside Russia. We've that, been clear about that with the Ukrainians. You know, there was an incursion inside Russia, and the question is, who did it and what did they use? That's John Kirby, Ukraine. Things are changing. It looks like Ukraine may be attacking inside Russia, and the Wagner Group is, get, is predicting a Russian collapse. We'll give you the details. Number two. We've offered a lot of concessions. The cap on the spending is a Democrat idea. The work, the work requirement was a Democrat idea. I can't help it if the Democrats have become so extreme and now is a party of Bernie Sanders. One thing about the speaker, he is available. One thing about the White House, they are not. With the debt default just days away, where does Joe go? Uh, the Oval Office, the East Room, Tri-Camp David, and their Rehoboth. Not really a reason to leave a very important overseas trip early. Number one. I pledge to you that on January 20th, 2025, at high noon, that I'll be the guy on the west side of the Capitol uh, with the left hand on the Bible and the right hand in the air taking the oath of office as the 47th president of the United States. No more excuses. And we are in 2023, so it's a long road. That's Governor DeSantis. Ryan finally runs. DeSantis officially in, and there things are clear. He has a gap to close versus Trump, and Twitter spaces needs a lot of work because it crashed with him on it. What it means for the overall race, and why does Governor DeSantis beat Biden head-to-head, but yet Trump doesn't, even though they're both within the margin of errors. Let's bring in someone who has no errors, Jennifer Griffin. Jennifer, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Brian. Thanks. So what do you think? Uh, today's press conference, is it it for Millie? Is his, this his goodbye? No, Millie's going to be in the job of chairman of the Joint Chiefs till October 1st. That, by law, it's a, it's a two, two-year terms, and it ends on October 1st. What we expect today from the White House is in the Rose Garden at about 1.45 p.m. We expect the, pro- the president will nominate, and we've confirmed that he will nominate, General C.Q. Brown, who is currently the head of the Air Force. You know, as you know from the past, Brian, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs often rotates between the services because that is a joint position that that is overseeing all the services. And it really was the Air Force's turn. But the president still had a choice of a number of people. He chose General C.Q. Brown. It's an interesting choice. He will become he was the first uh, black head of the U.S. Air Force, and he will become the second uh, black chairman of the Joint Chiefs after Colin Powell. What's interesting about General Brown is his job before he became Air Force chief, he was out in the Pacific overseeing the entire air fleet and Air Force component out in the Pacific. So he's very familiar with Taiwan and the situation in the Pacific. But he also ran the ISIS air campaign over the Middle East. He has He's an F-16 pilot. He has 130 combat hours, 3,000 flight hours. And so he's he's going to uh, be announced at the White House today. But he will he will have to be um, confirmed by the Senate. That could be a problem because Senator Tommy Tuberville of of Alabama is holding up about 300 military nominations because he's upset that the Pentagon has changed policy and it will allow any um, any female service members who need uh, abortions and are posted in states where abortions are banned, they can take time off and travel to uh, facilities uh, if they, again, if they qualify and need uh, that kind of uh, uh, reproductive health. Um, and so right now there's a showdown where all of the military nominations are held up by Senator Tuberville. All right, let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine. A lot going on. First off, do you believe the offensive has started for the Ukrainians? 
I think what you're seeing right now are shaping operations. I think it's very interesting. I woke up this morning and saw a video of the Russian defense ministry or a building used by the defense ministry that was on fire in Moscow. That comes just weeks after those two drones flew into Red Square, you know, near Red Square to hit the Kremlin or exploded above the Kremlin, uh, making it look like there had been an attack on uh, President Putin or the seat of power there. You have, of course, as you were mentioning, the uh, the incursion into Belgorod, which is Russian territory on the border with Ukraine. Um, there is some dispute as to whether any um, any vehicles, um, armored vehicles that the U.S. had had donated to Ukraine had been used in that strike. No indication that any Americans were involved in that incursion. But it's clear that these are psychological operations that are sort of trying to put pressure on Russia. And then you have the fact that the Wagner Group, uh, the mercenaries, the uh, you know, that run by Yevgeny Prigozhin, who had basically emptied Russia's prisons and put prisoners out to fight as mercenaries on the front lines in Bakhmut, that he's withdrawing. He's going to hand over to the regular Russian forces. But those regular Russian forces, they are tired. They are are ill-equipped, and they are not very professional. So Ukraine says they're still going to try and keep Russia um, uh, active and held down in Bakhmut. Bakhmut is, is strategically insignificant, but what's significant about it is if it ties up the Russian military, then that allows the Ukrainians to sort of move down to the south, and what they're going to want to try to do is to cut off that land bridge to Crimea. And But I don't believe we've seen that start yet. Well, it's fascinating what went on. I'm I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but in an interview, the head of the Wagner Group, the founder of the Wagner Group, uh, came out and said he professed a uh, guiding by love of his motherland and loyalty to Putin. He delivered a blistering criticism of the war, which the Kremlin calls a special military operation. Here is his comments through translation, and we could pick it up. Cut 27. Now, with regard to demilitarization, if they had 500 tanks at the beginning of special military operation, now they have 5,000. If they had 20,000 able to fight, now they have 400,000 able to fight. So, how did we demilitarize? It turns out that on the contrary, we have militarized Ukraine. And he goes on to talk about how the elites, uh, the rich are not letting their kids, those kids don't get drafted. Everybody else does, and they're dying. 200,000 casualties, 40 to 50,000 dead. What, what's the significance of that statement? This is very significant because what you're seeing is you're seeing the fault lines within Russian society, within the Russian military, and even within the Russian power structure. He may be professing, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who's the head of the Wagner Group, was long time known as Putin's chef. And, and he may be saying that he's professing loyalty to Putin, but he's basically uh, launching criticism not only at Putin because his military, his defense secretary, his uh, his top generals have not been able to deliver uh, a, a swift defeat in Ukraine and, in fact, have, as he, in his own words, and this is an amazing admission, uh, Ukraine is now militarized and able to stand up to Russia. Um, so you're going to see this fault line play out. You're going to see Prigozhin make a play, I think, within the Kremlin and maybe even at Putin. The question is, how long does Prigozhin survive be, making statements like that? Will Putin use his statements? 
statements? Uh, you know, is Putin still amused by Prigozhin and going to use those statements to reshuffle his generals? He's done that several times to no effect. Uh, he put uh, General Gerasimov, who was supposed to be his top advisor and general, in charge of the battlefield, and there's been no progress. It's been a complete stalemate in the last uh, few months since he's been in charge. So the question is, how does Putin shuffle the deck? Today, there's a diversion. He, there was an announcement that Putin and the Belarusian president, uh, neighboring President Lukashenko, had agreed to allow Russia to put nukes on Belarusian territory closer to Europe. Uh, that is a diversion. Whenever Putin's doing badly on the battlefield, you hear him start talking or, or about nukes or moving nukes around. Right. Uh, this offensive looks promising, doesn't it? I think anything, any time that uh, observers and Western observers and even uh, the the Pentagon and others have underestimated the Ukrainians, they've over. Uh, performed. Uh, they thought that they would be finished within two weeks and, and that the capital would fall. Uh, the Ukrainians have outmaneuvered the Russians. They've trained faster on all of the weapon systems, whether they were, uh, whether it's the Patriot missile systems that have been used in a very unique way. Uh, the, the training goes very quickly with the Ukrainians. I've heard that time and again from people in the U.S. military and in the Pentagon who have been part of that training process. If, if normally it takes six months, months to train on an M1 Abrams tank, uh, they're doing it in, in a few weeks. So this is, this is impressive, and now you're, you're, you're hearing that the U.S. is planning to, uh, U.S. and Netherlands and Denmark are planning to train the Ukrainians on F-16 fighter jets. That was unthinkable a few months ago. So um, those jets will, will most likely not be a part of this counteroffensive, but it shows the long-term investment in Ukraine's future and Ukraine's defense. Does it, does it frustrate many people, the pace in which we do things. They're not going to get HIMARS. They get HIMARS. They're not going to get Patriots. They get Patriots. They're not going to get tanks. They're going to get tanks. Now they're not going to get F-16s. They're going to get F-16s. I mean, it does seem as though we can't make up our minds and we're slowly giving them what they need. But how many people die in the interim? So I think if you're Ukrainian and you're on the front lines or you're President Zelensky, you're incredibly frustrated. You know that the U.S. has also been the main, uh, the leader in terms of stepping up. In fact, as we speak right now, Brian, there is what's known as the contact group meeting virtually with Defense Secretary Austin set this up with the 30 NATO countries and allies to get uh, those allies every, uh, every six weeks or so to donate more weaponry. So that is happening as we speak here in the Pentagon, and that's what we'll hear more about at the 1230 press conference today. I think there probably is frustration inside Ukraine, and you sort of feel like, well, if NATO had just come in and given, uh, you know, and gone toe-to-toe with yeah. Russia, this would have been over in two weeks. However, let's take the full context. And remember, the U.S. is having to lead a very, uh, it's very important that the NATO coalition hold together, that the EU hold together. When you deal with that many allies, you've got a lot of different considerations. And the biggest consideration is that in the beginning, nobody knew how Putin would react with the nuclear weapons. That was that kept people moving cautiously and slowly. And that's why you keep seeing these these incremental increases is that you realize that Putin really uh, every time he takes a step back and loses something on the battlefield, you realize that he's not really going to be capable of, um, you know, the, the swagger and the, the nuclear uh, saber rattling. You know, it's still a factor. I mean, this is still a country that has nuclear weapons, and, and you know, it's not clear that, that Putin would not use them. So it's, it's a delicate dance. It's, um, it, it, 
Ukraine is still standing, and Ukraine has a real shot in the next few months. But these next few mm -hmm. months are going to be crucial on the battlefield, and that's why the U.S. and others have rushed so many things, whether it's the Tiger tanks mm -hmm. that Germany gave. You never expect Germ expected Germany to take the lead on that. They did. Uh, the U.S. gave them cover with the M1 Abrams, but those M1 Abrams are not really going to be a big factor on the battlefield. That was to give cover to the NATO allies so they could give the Tiger tanks. Understood. And, Jennifer, I can't wait to you come on, and the big debate will be should they talk before or after they go for Crimea or not? And that would be a good debate. Well, but when you have 17 percent of Ukraine and people say, mm -hmm. let's do peace talks, how does that even happen? Because it, yeah, it, the, I, Ukraine can't give up half their country. Yeah. The only people talking about peace talks right now are really the Chinese and maybe the French leadership, but the Ukrainians are not talking about that. They want an opportunity to win back more of their territory. Uh, they're not going to stop, uh, even if they can't uh, retake Crimea, that is going to be frozen there, and the, the world is not going to recognize that as Russian territory. Um, and so right now, the next few months, the focus needs to be on how to regain as much territory as possible and to bleed Russia out on the battlefield. Uh, Jennifer Griffin, last question. 60 Minutes did a feature on how the Pentagon's being gouged because we have so few weapons manufacturers. They have no choice. They charge what they want. A lot of inspectors have been fires let go, not renewed. What's the reality? Is the Pentagon being gouged by American companies? Look, I think the acquisition system here in the Pentagon has been broken since I've seen it, you know, firsthand for the past 15 years. You've got, just like we saw with supply chains in uh, the post COVID, during COVID and afterwards, uh, the disruptions, the slowness, the, the, but also the requests by the Pentagon for these kind of weapon systems where they tack on uh, so many components that the weapons makers themselves, it just takes forever. But also, let's look at the fact that the budget process on Capitol Hill. You never have a budget on time, passed on time. And so those weapons manufacturers and those contracts, they wait and see if they're going to have the money and if they're going to have the budget, and that slows things down. We heard the defense secretary talk about how if this debt ceiling crisis continues and, and you don't have a, a budget, you're going to be delaying the building of Shipbuilding in particular will be harmed. Uh, there are there are submarines that are, nuclear submarines that are in the process of being built. That it get the whole process gets slowed down because of this budget process on Capitol Hill. And somebody is going to have to figure out how to have you know five year budgets passed or something for the Pentagon so that weapons manufacturers can know what they uh, mm -hmm. what they are dealing with on the horizon. Because you know in manufacturing you can't plan if you don't know if you have money. All that stuff is true, and I'm just wondering also, and they talk about an oil filter only being made by one company, how much it Ridiculous. actually cost, how much it should cost, yeah. and that type of stuff. I, I'm going to be naive. I think there should be a patriotic spirit that I, while making a profit. I just think that you should not be able to sleep at night if you're gouging your own country. Final thought? They used to call it war profiteering. War profiteering. It should be illegal. It's treasonous. But it goes back to the Reagan era when you had the, you know, what was it, a $1,000 hammer that yeah. the Pentagon was buying? This has been a problem here for so long. Somebody's got to get their arms around it, some common sense, so that the American people have faith that the money that they are giving for the defense budget is being used wisely. Uh, these weapons, uh, you know, we've seen firsthand how incredible these weapons are on the battlefield. Uh, Even the old there ones. Needs to be some common sense. Jennifer Griffin, you're the best. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Back in a moment.
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. In a little while, we're going to be joined by Jimmy Fallon. He's got to come in because he has the studios right by here. He has no choice. A lot of people are riding. People talk about the latest polls. Uh, continues to Everyone continues to talk about the rollout last night uh, that the, did not really work on Twitter space. Other people say that it was no big deal. It's good to be different. Other people are writing me with the, the latest polls. They show Trump up 42 in Iowa. We'll see about that when it comes out. Let's just see. It. My thing is, no matter what the polls are now, even if DeSantis was up to 20 points, I would say, guys, just got to relax because this thing's got to play out. You got to get on the ground. You got to make speeches. You got to do interviews. You got to answer some questions. You got to figure out who the mistakes are going to be and how big those mistakes are, what the ads are going to be like. And who's going to be taken on who? Now you got Tim Scott, extremely competent. Governor Haley with a great team. You have Asa Hutchinson knows what he's doing. He's not going to get more than 2 or 3%. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to change the conversation. He's already tries to raise the voting age and going into the inner cities to demand and demand Republicans follow him there into Chicago and New York and other places. So each candidate will force others to react. It's not just Trump and DeSantis. And I think you're crazy to sleep on Tim Scott and uh, Nikki Haley. They are so different. And if people start muddying each other up on the Trump uh, Republican side, they will step forward. Because I don't know anybody that has a bad thing to say about, that knows Tim Scott, uh, has anything bad to say about Tim Scott. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. Something's being weaponized against us that many people don't even know and honestly don't care about. The accountant handled that. Like, I I don't know what that is. Um, It it is such a trip now to hear the word, the the term 990s. I'm like, it's like triggering. (laughs) Patrice Cullors who is uh, uh, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter. Now no one wants to hit up the organization. Why? Because they had $100 million. Now they have $9 million, and they haven't paid any taxes. This sounds <laughs> very familiar with Jimmy. Very familiar, Jimmy, right? Jimmy <laughs> Faylor joins us right now. Good to see have you, Have you ever had $100 million, woken up and realized you had nine? No, I, I, but I didn't run an organization, BLM, that stands for Buy Large Mansions. It's no kidding. So I would have, I don't but know. I, have I you ever seen more better. people look at this organization and say, yeah, I'm not running that? No. More people, no one wants to run it, no one has run it. They, no, they knew the it country. was a racket from word one. I mean, you can tell they got to where they were. as a, It was a shakedown, it was a grift, just based on the soundbite you just played. They've been hiding behind, like, woke word salad. Like, this is triggering. What's the implication there? That it's racist to make black people pay taxes? Don't even bring it up again. I, I've been audited twice in, like, the last five years, by the way. Right. Yeah, it's, it, I didn't have the option of getting on the phone and being like, you know, I am a little triggered here, so I'm just going to hold on to the money now. How do you think Trump feels? I believe he has been... Rated? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's been rated. They arrest his lawyer. They had they flipped another uh, one yeah. of his lawyers to, t- uh, to turn on his client. Well, and remember what they're doing with the Trump organization. They're accusing him of uh, false expenses. Oh, yeah. Well, and they put a CFO in jail. How about that? Well, to be fair, though, in the Stormy Daniels case, uh, he did pay her by check, and she's supposed to get paid in singles. Right, which so, is you know, a problem. You, you got to be mindful. Right, you got you to you know, you have to be willing to criticize yourself when you make a mistake. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about it. Good to see you, man. So, yeah, it's good to see you. So this is one of those things that's happening now, but it mm-hmm. ruined for everything because yep. most people – 
you know, if they want to, they could help. You look at what's happening in the inner city and see single parent families. If I, if you yeah. think to yourself, man, I'd love to help those kids. Yes. I'd think love about to that. help the next generation. And then you give some money and you're talking, I saw Jennifer Aniston give over a million dollars. Big deal. Right? So when we go, where is it? And that's the thing. Right. There's no pushback from any of these corporations. Well, because one, they don't want to. I mean, what, what's the implication for them? If the corporations go, hey, what happened to the money? We're going after this organization. They get hit with the so what? So the Black Lives Not Matter now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that was the effectiveness of this grift is that they shook down every corporation. They shook down every celebrity. But there's no actual follow up in terms of. Where this money went. Again, as you said, most of these people donated in good faith. The corporations did. That was a shakedown. It was an electoral summer. The Democrats piggybacked off of this movement pretty aggressively. But there has been no deliverable. You know what I'm saying? Like, where is the outcry that there was no scholarship fund? Or maybe in a failing inner city school. And talk about the craziness. Yeah. Do you remember you better have six feet apart? You better not go outside. Oh, yeah. Got to wear a mask outside. Mm Mm-hmm. But when Anthony Fauci was viewing the riots in the streets, because no, they're keeping their distance. Well, I don't really see a problem while you, burning down a city. But you got to understand, COVID probably made in a Chinese lab understands that when you're looting a Chinese Nike store, okay, there's some type of DNA alignment Did I know there. That. Yeah, yeah. Have you talking to Dr. Martin McCarry? <laughs> oh, or, McCarry or, uh, he does Siegel. come on my show. McCarry comes on and dumbs it down. Right. We I talk mean, about it. Because he understands uh, that Anthony Fauci's a, a fraud. <laughs> oh, I mean, a total scam. But again, that's where the that's where people like there's been so much damage done to the trust in institutions in this country. And the odd part is that the people lecturing the most about protecting the integrity of these institutions are the ones destroying them. Like when you talk about, you know, the DOJ. What was the big criticism on conservatives when we were questioning the Mueller probe? Oh, they're undermining faith in the DOJ. Yeah. But what did we come to know? We shouldn't have had any faith to begin with. But it's the people yelling. Yeah. You're undermining democracy, said the people who made up the Russian collusion hoax. So let's talk about Hunter Biden. I love it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, we brought up this last night on The Five. What is it with Hunter? Hunter yeah. College, Hunter Biden. Is there <laughs> there's always a problem. If someone's name Hunter, just turn yourself in. It doesn't end. Right. Good. Or you know, you know, it turns it's out gotcha. though this woman might get away with it. She yeah. turns herself in and yep. gets a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Well she had when's the, uh, she had a machete at somebody's neck who happened to be a reporter. <laughs> and then went out to to stalk him but, after he left the building. Still have no idea what could what he could be charged. She could be charged. But this is the kind of insanity we've created. The people like her did that without ever once thinking it could cost her her job because up until now, you know, they've supported people like this. Colleges, remember this. Stanford Law had a member of the Trump administration out there to speak. They literally attacked an invited guest. Like a judge. A, like he was a villain on a daytime talk show. Right, so, you ain't all that. I'm like, right. no, that's not what he was here to do. But but evidently the equity manager yeah. officer was there to say, listen, these two, these it's not fair to these kids to have you talk, really? Yeah. Because she was appointed that. by it Trump. Was a, and it was and it was an invited guest. Think right. about Riley Gaines at San Francisco stage. Got barricaded into a classroom. Right. And there is no actual retribution for these people. So that's kind of the environment they've created. She thought, oh, it's a machete. Is it a little much? Maybe I should have went with a smaller knife. Right. But she's not thinking I should have pulled no knife at all. That's the problem. So her name is Reuven Fenton. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. The reporter is Reuven Fenton. Mm-hmm. And he sees what happened when Shelly Ann Rodriguez did this at Hunter when she spotted pro-life students with a stack table and brochures. You're not educated. This is propaganda. What are you going to do? Like anti-trans now? Is that what you're going to do next? Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> this is this is violent. You're triggering my students. <laughs> There's a word not, again. You can't even have a baby. 
So you don't even know what that is. Whoa, 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 whoa. She wrecks the place. Now, now let me jump in here, though, because she said, what's next? Anti-trans stuff? Yeah. And then what did she say to him? You can't even have babies. Hey, that's anti-trans. Right. Hold on a second. Now um, you're now okay, you're trans. Now she's the transphobe now. <laughs> Who let J.K. Rowling into the room? <laughs> oh, this is nuts. It's so, so dumb. So this woman wasn't done. Later yeah. on that day, she goes home after this goes viral. <laughs> and this is how this went out. Now, try to put this together. Reuben Fenton is a reporter in the New York Post. He thought he'd knock on her door and see if she wants to give her side of the story at Hunter. Let's oh. listen. We just wanted to speak to this woman. We thought uh, we, we might have a chance, given that uh, she's obviously passionate about her beliefs. And maybe if we showed up to her door, she'd uh, be willing to, to grant us an interview. You know, in my career, I've knocked on 10,000 doors, you know, hoping for interviews. And once in a while, you got one. And I thought this might work out. But I got a, a bit of a surprise uh, when, when uh, she opened the door. This was a first for me. She uh, first verbally threatened uh, to, to chop us up with the machete and then proceeded to come uh, out of her apartment brandishing the blade and, and pressing it against the side of my neck for about a second. And then she saw that she was being taped. Can you imagine if the guy wasn't rolling on this? Yeah. If he's not rolling on that, she's still employed. And right. Still, but, but again, although she gets fired, okay, there's a thousand of her in academia right now. Who probably hired 10, Somebody who has that same type of like DEI mentality. Of we need people that'll come into our campus and tell the kids the whole country's racist, and then charge them eight hundred thousand dollars for the privilege of being told so. So yeah, I, I'm telling you, I used to make fun of myself for going to community college, but there's nothing smarter you could do with your money than get at least two years of transferable credits for next to nothing right. and not leave hating America. Right, and you don't because you get in, you get out. These play these these teachers are not trying to win you over on campus. Yep. They know you usually have another job on the side. Yep. You're leaving, okay? Right. They they tell, they make sure you get back and forth to nickel beer night safe, right. and they let you have your education. That's it. Shout out to community college, Nassau community, if you're listening, and I know you are. Well, when we were uh, when I was graduating, they had Farmingdale yep. or Nassau. Yep. Now Farmingdale won four years. Yeah, Farmingdale went big. Right, so now they're eligible to get illegal immigrants. But do you, uh, like Stony Brook's <laughs> got them too? Yeah, Stony Brook's Albany and Buffalo. Do you want to laugh? Uh, Hofstra, great school. A lot of lot of lot of Fox execs went. My sister went. Okay, I got to speak at Hofstra uh, to their broadcast journalism majors about getting a job in broadcasting. And it was my favorite thing in the world. I said, well, you're going to want to start by walking across the street to the community college where I went. And the administrators were like, oh, Jimmy, would you look at the time? Thanks for coming, pal. But it was and funny. They were good people. But they were good. And they yeah. said you had, an, you had an unorthodox way on the internet. I did. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could say what you want about taking hostages and low-level extortion attempts. But no. Right. I, I went to community college. Obviously, I was driving a cab. I was doing stand-up. And I got in the door here at Fox because they just booked me to be a guest on Kennedy. That's how we kind of got this ball rolling. Right. And then I just got good at sneaking onto set. You know, it's live TV. Once you're in the shot, they're not going to pull you out. It's yeah. terrible for the and network. And this is terrible advice to kids. <laughs> this, is, this is some of the worst. This is the worst TED Talk ever. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Well, so, uh, listen, uh, uh -huh. I was going to talk about Let's just do this real quick. Uh-huh. There's another whistleblower that's come forward. Yes. And I was stunned. I was flipping around last night waiting for you to come on Hannity. And I saw Anderson Cooper mm -hmm. toss to a reporter. And they talked about the, the second whistleblower yeah. in the Hunter Biden case. Uh -huh. Then I find out CBS talked to Gary Shapley yes. about what he saw. So notice I'm noticing other people outside Fox. Uh -huh. Cut 28. In January 2020, he was assigned to what he calls a high-profile investigation. Who's the subject of the investigation? I can't con confirm or deny the, the subject of this investigation. Why not? 
because, you know, part of the tax secrecy laws don't allow it. Shapley can't say it, but CBS News has learned the investigation was the probe of Hunter Biden by the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware. Senior Biden administration officials have vowed to let it run its course without interference. But CBS News has obtained this letter Shapley's lawyers sent to Congress Monday alleging irregularities in DOJ's handling of the investigation. Shapley is seeking legal protections from Congress so he can share specifics of his allegations. Mm. Your, your reaction. Number one, Merrick Carlin is as corrupt as a day is oh, long. Oh, what a scam. Am I right? And this agent, okay, he knew something was up when they started telling him they felt triggered by his... Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're weaponizing this line of questioning. It was very shades of BLM. This is where the liability presents itself for Biden, okay? As you know, he's historically unpopular within his own party, okay? He has gotten this far because the media has kind of covered for him. They did his campaigning in 2020. And although they kicked the tires about getting him out of there, you know, in the run up to the midterms, he exceeded expectations. The media kind of laid off. Okay, but this is a media that would be willing to out him in this brief window they have should an alternative present itself because they really don't feel confident going to the polls with him. You saw it. Yeah. 36 percent approval. Thirty three percent think he's a strong. Leader. Sir, I mean, right now you're, you're legitimately handing out cruise brochures to people who are on the lifeboats from the Titanic. You know, right. it's not it's a, it's a hard sell right now. They're still shivering from getting off the But the they see ship. head to head yes. that he still beats Trump within the margin of error, and, and the, that gives them hope. Well, what gives them hope is, yes, Trump leading in the primaries by as much as he does, because I, he could beat Trump, you know, because Trump, they, they can turn out an anti-Trump Do you vote. believe that Biden can beat Trump? I believe he can. I'm not saying he would, but Trump, he can't beat anybody but Trump. Because the thing is, Trump turns out for the Democrats an anti-Trump vote. Okay, they'll vote anti-Trump in your in like literally your county comptroller. I don't even know what the guy does, but if you run one ad that says he'll stand up to Trump, right. you get like sixty percent Democrat turnout off that alone. Right. So that's where Trump is challenged. Is there's an anti-Trump vote out there that doesn't exist yet at the level that it does for a DeSantis or a Scott? They're certainly going to try. I mean, they're throwing everything at DeSantis. Right. And if heaven forbid Tim Scott gets the nomination, which is a comedian I would like to see happen, only because they will continue to call him the white supremacist, and it's exactly. going to be the funniest thing in the world. Well, I, I love that. I think it was Lee Elder. Uh, yeah. They came out. He was the black face of white the supremacy. The black face of white. This is the thing. If all these guys are white supremacists, there's like a typo in the handbook. Right. I've got to be honest with it. We've got to get the publisher on the phone. Who edited this thing? Right. Did you see Vanity Fair's headline? Um, unbelievable. Yeah. He said, well, Elon Musk will interview <laughs> Ron DeSantis because David Duke was not available. Which, where did that come from? You just play, You just tried to hit it out of the park in spring training. Yeah. You should wait till right for the election. You're not supposed to. You don't even know him yeah, yet. They say in comedy, kill me, and you don't open with your closer. Yeah. Okay, that is not an opening line. That's a closer. Right. <laughs> so wow. you did, But you basically said, for, for a business perspective, yeah. you just basically told 50% of your audience, don't touch Vanity Fair. Yeah. So instead of like, wow, Vanity Fair's got some good story. Now, now it's, it's a waste of time. Isn't it so crazy, though, that all of the people in these departments prioritize everything except the customer? Right. You know I mean, it used to be like the customer's always right. Now it's like, ah, the customer's always a racist. Forget yeah. them. Uh, it's like having a, a room full of people as a, a waiter and a bartender and just ignoring them. Yeah. Right? It's just, uh, I'm here to impress my manager. All right, let's take a break. Jim, come out and find out what Jimmy Fallon is going to be doing the rest of the day. Ooh. Are you doing anything? But, uh, don't answer. Mm. That was a trick. Cliffhanger. Back in a moment. <laughs> Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kill Me coming up.
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Nancy leading the way, you never had to worry about whether the bill would pass. She said she had the votes. She had the votes every time. She had the votes so many life-changing pieces of legislation. She'll rescue the economy in the Great Depression. <laughs> Right, the Great Depression. She saw the Great Depression. Now, FDR has gotten so much credit. Jimmy <laughs> Fallon, who wrote the article, did you write a column? The, FD, uh, the, the Depression. Stop giving FDR the credit. Was that the headline? Well, to be fair, I do believe Biden and Pelosi were both in government at the time of the Great Depression. She was born at the Great Depression <laughs> right at that time. That stock market crash at 29. But, I mean, you have no idea what he's going to say Listen, uh, on a regular basis. Shame on everybody pretending this is okay. Like 32% of the people don't think he's mentally fit to serve now. So we're going to do this to the guy for another four years. Like, it's actually cruel of us. Where's his wife? Well, you know where she is. She's doing magazine shoots and, you know. She, Enjoying she being the this. president. She likes this gig. Clearly likes being the president. And that's what you've got to hope. You've got to hope that if he wins a second term, Jill's a better president with a little more experience. So Kamala Harris was supposed to be the heir apparent that gave a sense of competency, right? Yeah, yeah. Whatever you think of Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. nobody thinks she's old or incompetent. You yeah. just don't like her views. Yes, that's not the story with Harris. Harris blew the deal mm-hmm. because she's not good. She's not smart. She doesn't hustle. She doesn't read. Uh-huh. She doesn't prepare. Nothing. That's what blew this deal. Yes. And what's so funny about it is the Democrats tried to warn the rest of the country. Don't ever forget, she ran. She ran for the presidency and dropped out of the Democratic primaries before the first vote was cast in the Iowa caucuses. Like, that is the political equivalent of passing out at 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Right. You don't even make the ball drop. Uh, yeah. You're, you're and, the one in the bathroom. And, could I, and we were talking about this in the break, that you didn't love DeSantis' rollout. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. But the one thing who know had a great rollout, Kamala mm-hmm. Harris. Yeah. Great speech. Even Trump was like, she's going to be good. Give her that. She's going to be good. Attorney General, Senator from California, look out. Tough questioner of Kavanaugh. And yep. then... The problem is she didn't study at all on health care, on immigration, just didn't have any answers. The next day she was walking things back. Everybody quit on her. Mm-hmm. A precursor was happening as vice president. Yep. So I, there's no, I, I, and I love talking to people like you about what you think is going to happen between Trump and DeSantis. Mm-hmm. And most people say nothing will change about Trump. Governor Huckabee weighed in last night on the show you okay. were on. Cut 10. It's a long way before anybody even votes in a caucus or primary. So there's a lot of time for things to happen. Ron DeSantis clearly steps into the race in the number two slot, but it's a distant number two. And what Ron DeSantis does not have at this point is a fanatically loyal base of people who are as fanatically loyal to him as they are to Donald Trump. Trump's base is unmovable. In fact, Trump's base is growing. And in large part, the more the media and the government but that's now become all one, Uh, the more they try to discredit and we find out about the lies and the criminal activity they've done to him and against him, I think the stronger it makes him. He says his base is growing. Do you agree with what Huckabee said? No, this is where I respectfully disagree with Huckabee. I think people who are active consumers of politics realize Trump has been railroaded. But I think the casual fan is looking at a bigger picture and that, They associate Trump with a lot of his perceived liabilities, whether they're fair or unfair. So I think Trump has to to change the narrative, just has to show us a better side of his personality. Where do we see you on stage? Oh, come on. Davenport, Iowa, June the 3rd. Mesa, Arizona, June the 10th. Lexington, Kentucky, June the 24th. Where do we get this if we didn't jot that down? Go to foxacrossamerica.com or listen to me on the radio after you on the Fox News app. Jimmy Fayler, thanks so much. Unless you're ready.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.